Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Kachansky, and welcome to episode 80 of InsureTech Insider. We are still recording remotely, and we also still want your suggestions on people we should have along on the show, and we want to hear about as wide a range of people as possible. So do get in contact by email at podcasts11fs.com with your suggestions of who we should be speaking to. Now, today we are talking about wedding insurance. Uh, This has been a hot topic in 2020, not only uh, in the insurance industry, but much, much wider than that. Um, A lot of people had to cancel their plans, but we want to know kind of what impact that's had on the the industry, the insurance industry, um, you know, what it's going to look like going forward and, uh, you know, how, how it's coping with all the uncertainty. Um, As always, I am not alone. Today, I am joined by Nigel Walsh. How are you doing today, Nigel? I'm very well. I'm happily married. And actually, marriage makes me, even the concept of it makes me very happy. So I'm I'm keen to hear about this episode, actually. Right. Should I say that? Yeah, no, no, that's fine. That's fine. It wasn't where I was expecting you to go. I didn't think we were going to have a debate about what we thought about the institution of marriage, but we, we can do that. Yeah. Well, that's a whole, that's, that's, that's a whole different conversation. But no, I, <laughs> when Hannah posted the notes, uh, I posted back a picture of our wedding, which was a very long time ago now, nearly 20 years. So I'm, I brought back lovely memories. <laughs> well, well, I'm glad we can take a trip down memory lane for you, <laughs> Nigel. Um, we were also joined by two amazing guests. So first up, we have Mark Brown, CEO and founder of Insuremore. Uh, hi, Mark. How are you doing today? Good afternoon. I'm very well, thank you. Um, so can you start off by telling us a little bit more about InsureMore and uh, what it has to do with wedding insurance? Sure, yeah. Well, first of all, I've got to say I'm a big fan of the show, so it's uh, an absolute uh, honour to be here. So thanks for having me and uh, really look forward to the uh, the conversation. Um, InsureMore, we class ourselves as a new breed of insurance retailer, so we're very much um, you know passionate, focused and committed to trying to make insurance better. Uh, so for us, it's all about uh, you know creating new, innovative insurance products and services you know, that fundamentally change um, you know the mentality of customers when it comes to insurance or, or purchasing insurance. Uh, so for us, it's all about making it easy through each stage of the customer journey, whether it's from consideration to purchase to you know servicing and claims. Um, we set up uh, Wed Insure, which was our first product that we launched back in February 2017, um, and we quickly grew that to become one of the market leaders in wedding insurance uh, within the. UK uh, market. So uh, we have covered over 30,000 weddings and uh, 60,000 customers uh, in the last uh, three and a half years. Uh, and in 2019, we won the award for best wedding insurance provider 2019 at the Insurance Choice Awards as well. So uh, that's a little bit about ourselves. You've got some experience in the wedding insurance game then? Uh, a little bit, yes. Uh, myself personally, I actually um, sold wedding insurance uh, as a marketing manager for a insurance company uh, based in Norwich back in 2005, I think. Um, so, yeah, so my wedding insurance uh, experience goes uh, way back to then. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, I think we, we, we certainly consider ourselves to be uh, experts in this space. That's what's certain. Brilliant. Well, great to have you. Um, next up, we also have um, Heidi McCormack, who is CEO and founder of Emerald Life. How are you doing today, Heidi? I'm most excellent, and and like Mark, very very pleased to uh, have been asked to be on the the show today with you. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, we have had Emerald Life on the show before, but perhaps you could give us a quick recap of what it is you do, um, and then tell us a little bit about your wedding insurance business. Emerald was launched five years ago uh, to be a disruptor in the insurance space as well. We focused on initially LGBT community and what their needs were as far as insurance and some of our early research showed that that was a community that was dramatically underinsured across all spectrum. And Emerald has, I would say, evolved into being, we have four major cohorts, LGBT women, um, non-traditional families, which can be single parents or same-sex couples, as well as single people. Um, and if you look across the breadth of general insurance, we really focus on giving respectful customer journeys. For example, in the in our wedding product, it's participant one and participant two, not bride and groom. Um, in travel insurance, we're the first uh, travel underwriter in the UK. If you're HIV positive and on stable meds, you actually don't report it as a medical condition, which we think is also safer and, again, respectful of those customers. So we, we enjoy being a disruptor as well and really kind of trying to challenge we're uh, south of the river in London Bridge, trying to challenge EC3 across the river um, <laughs> to be a little bit more uh, flexible and thoughtful because there's so many different combinations of family and family structures and, and needs out there that I guess our goal is that people really see themselves or parts of themselves 
in what we're trying to do. Brilliant. Well, um, thank you for joining us as well today, Heidi. Uh, thank you both, in fact, for coming along. Um, let's get on with the show. So uh, let's start off with sort of an explainer of wedding insurance. So first of all, um, how is it generally sold? What are, your, what are your typical distribution channels for wedding insurance? Is it something that people tend to go and look for and buy? Is it something that's sold through partners? You know, what, 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 how, how is it generally, um, how would you generally go about finding it or learning about it if you're getting married? Um, yeah, I'm happy to take that one. So uh, predominantly, it's a online product. So um, you know, the certainly you know 99% uh, you know of all sales are generated online. So it's very much a product that. Uh, you know, customers, I would say, seek out. So, uh, you know, they're, they're planning their wedding. Um, somebody's, you know, having to mention it to them or they've, uh, you know, come across a advert in, uh, you, know, uh, you know, wedding magazine or online or, you know, even in, in the case of obviously a lot of the wedding venues and suppliers also, you know, uh, obviously make recommendations to customers to get some form of wedding insurance. And so typically when you're planning your wedding, that's where customers then, you know, you hear about this concept of wedding insurance and, uh, you know, they come online, uh, obviously search, you know, do your typical Google search for wedding insurance and come across, you know, the various different providers uh, and, uh, you know, obviously do their research from there. So, uh, but yeah, predominantly, you know, direct to consumer online through the, you know, typical, you know, direct consumer uh, online channels, you know, PPC, SEO, uh, you know, all that type of stuff. The other thing I'd add to what Mark is saying is um, that a lot of people didn't know wedding insurance existed. And we found out early days, we, we don't so much anymore, to Mark's point, because it's a product that really is sold online. Um, but we used to go to a lot of wedding fairs. And you'd have, this is, this is going to sound fairly heteronormal, but you'd have the couple where the, the, the bride with her hen party was kind of going around to all the booths and the, and the potential grooms were scared and, and bored and <laughs> looking for the champagne. Or parents, or parents, frankly, and um, those were the people, you know, you're handing out the flyers and you're talking about wedding insurance. And it was really amazing early days how many people didn't even know that a product like that existed. And, that, and that's still the case today, to be honest with you. I think, um, you know, we still get quite, quite often get customers, you know, who call us and go, oh my gosh, I didn't even know wedding insurance existed, you know. So, uh, you know, that is still a, a fairly common thing that occurs. Uh, you know, I think typically you will only ever hear about this type of product when you are planning a wedding. Uh, and I think that's part, part of the challenge, you know, that we have as an industry and, uh, you know, is, is to educate customers and to make them aware of the product. Uh, and, and certainly, you know, that, that certainly what's happened over the course of the last eight months, uh, you know, with COVID and things like that. So I think, you know, the awareness of this type of product going forward is, uh, you know, has increased significantly. Yeah. I think just one more point is that I think in the last two, three years, there have been some uh, dedicated aggregators for wedding insurance. And also it's now a more common product so that even if somebody wasn't aware of it and they go on to, let's say, do their motor insurance, do their house insurance, they actually see it up there as a, as a category. And that signposting, I think, has also helped customer awareness. So, I mean, what do you actually insure? Like, what are you actually insuring? Is it, because I may have misunderstood this, but um, I'm not married. I have no intention of ever getting married. So this is a, a theoretical question for our listeners. Um, what, what, is, it, is it like an event insurance? Am I, am I insuring an event or am I insuring my dress and my ring and my cake? I don't, how, what, what am I actually buying? What am I, what am I insuring myself against here? Well, well, this is the interesting thing. So, um, you know, wedding insurance is a fairly, a uh, complicated product in lots of different ways in the sense of, you know, it has many different sections of cover, you know. So if I was to look at our, you know, old policy, we had 15 different sections of cover. Um, you know, uh, our current policy that we're selling today has 11 different sections of cover, you know. So everything from, you know, cancellation, containment, uh, rearrangement, financial failure of wedding services suppliers, uh, photography, uh, wedding transport, uh, wedding rings, uh, gifts, uh, cake, flowers, you name it. So pretty much, uh, you know, everything associated with the wedding. But, you know, in, in essence, it's a financial protection product. So, you know, we have, you know, customers who are planning, you know, a wedding. And when you consider that the average cost of a wedding in the UK is over £30,000, you know, that's a significant sum of money to be spending on, 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 on your big day. And so, you know, what we're providing is a product that provides financial protection to those customers in the event that something goes wrong. Uh, you know, so they're forced to cancel the wedding for a, a covered reason or one of their suppliers goes uh, bankrupt or into liquidation uh, and they've lost payments and deposits and things like that. So, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, it, it really is a case of providing them with that, uh, you know, um, that financial protection in, in, in the event that those things, you know, happen to them. 
I, I just and and to reinforce what what Mark is saying, it is insurance about an event about things that lead up to a wedding ceremony and a wedding reception. So it's it's depending on which part of the eleven or fifteen which section um, insurance is falling under. It either really pertains to what happens on the day if a supplier actually doesn't show up. But equally important, I would say, is um, what it doesn't cover. And what it doesn't cover are things like disagreements with the supplier if the supplier is still financially solvent. Um, And I know we'll get into claims and that stuff later on, but um, it also doesn't cover government acts. Um, and, And the cover really didn't change it's important for people to understand that the wedding cover didn't hasn't changed up until the big rush when we basically everyone stopped selling in March. The cover hasn't changed because of COVID. It's the same cover that it's basically been for the last five or six um, years in that sense. Um, and we'll get into the expectations that people have versus what the what the policy actually actually does. It doesn't cover your honeymoon. It doesn't cover travel. It doesn't cover if guests can't get to a place because of travel restrictions, for example. So it's equally important to spell out actually what, what is not covered. No, that make, that makes a lot of sense, and I think I think it's probably that's probably important generically. You know what it does and doesn't cover, and then as we get onto sort of in a, in a minute, we'll talk about COVID specifically because um, I imagine things are you know w- what you may have been worried about it not covering last year is quite different about what you might be worrying about it not covering this year. Um, Nigel, did you want to add anything on that on the on the point of you know what does insurance actually cover? Yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, I, and like you, Sarah, before one gets engaged or married or whatever else, you never actually know it existed in the first place. I, I first saw it in the jewellery shop when you're buying an engagement ring to get engagement ring cover. Uh, and then at the gift service when you're doing the gift lists and what's not. So it's, it's available almost everywhere. It's very much in your face about um, here, you can get these things covered. Um, it, interestingly, what it always reminds me of the movie is that Runaway Bride, where she gets to the end of the aisle and runs away at the very end. You must see these all the time. But it, it, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't cover things like change of heart or disinclination to get married at the very end. Um, I have seen some odd ones like weather. And I was lucky enough to get married on a bank holiday in May where it rained either side of the wedding and it was sunny on the day of our wedding. God knows how much be the luck of the Irish. Um, but things like that you can actually get cover for. I, I, I'm always amazed at insurance's ability to innovate or provide cover for practically anything that we're, you know, in, in England, it's weather. You can, you can get wedding insurance cover if it rains and you're doing an outdoor event. It's specialist and it's pricey, but it, it is available, right? I think I saw that on a thing the other day, which was like, it covers you for up to seven millimeters of rain. And I just thought, oh my God, how would you even work out the calculation of the likelihood of that with the weather and the climate change at the moment? Uh, sorry, Mark, I interrupted you there. No, 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 at all. That's absolutely fine. No, in, in fact, that is a standard uh, element of our cover today and, um, you know, has been for some time. So uh, we cover um, cancellation and rearrangement uh, due to uh, weather-related events and also uh, natural catastrophe. Uh, that typically would apply where either the wedding participants themselves can't get to the wedding ceremony venue due to adverse weather or where at least 50% of the guests can't get to the uh, the, the venue due to uh, adverse weather. Uh, so that is a standard feature of the policy today. You know, so if if you were to buy a policy today and you're getting married in, you know, in May or June and you're unlucky to have, uh, you know, the, the June downpours and there's a massive flood and you can't get to the venue, uh, then, you know, th- those are the type of circumstances, you know, that, that are covered under the policy. So, uh, and, it, and it is a major consideration for customers depending upon what time of the year they get married, obviously. Just to clarify on top of what Mark just said, that's for UK weddings only. Um, so it doesn't cover, because we were just saying it doesn't cover travel, that, that those adverse weather um, and natural catastrophe are UK based. And so if you're getting married uh, okay. in Rome and there's an earthquake, that that doesn't fall under those provisions. Interesting. So you'd have to buy Italian insurance. Well, <laughs> you're both just a really well, deep breath. I, no, I, 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 actually, sorry, in, 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 in the in the case of our policy, you would be covered. So, for instance, uh, I'm going back a couple of years ago where we had um, customers out in the Dominican Republic when one of the major uh, hurricanes came through. I think it was um, – oh, sorry, I can't even remember the name of the hurricane now. But anyway, there was there was a major hurricane and uh, it came through, obviously hit the Caribbean islands you know, quite badly. And um, they were uh, getting married in the uh, Dominican Republic. 
Um, and, you know, if their venue had been damaged uh, because of that hurricane and the wedding was unable to proceed, they would have had an admissible claim under the terms of our policy for that, uh, for that particular circumstance. So uh, at the time, I remember we actually reached out to them directly to find out if they had been affected and if there was anything we could do. And luckily, you know, they managed to get married right in between and they were okay and uh, it didn't affect them. Yeah, I mean, that, that goes back to the point about, you know, just, just actually reading the, the small print um, and knowing what you're covered for, I suppose, and, and, and the responsibility to insure on that. But um, talking of small print and what you are and aren't covered for, let's do it. Let's talk about COVID. All right. Um, I'm going to come to you first, Mark, and ask you, what, 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 was, what, what happened in March? What, you know, what was, what was the situation? What, what was your experience? Um, I think I could probably take an hour up just talking about what happened in March, to be honest with you. But uh, in, in a nutshell, um, you know, the you know the best way to describe it was you know pure panic. Really, was uh, you know the best way to describe it. Um, you know, uh, just to put it into a little bit of perspective. January for us is normally the biggest month of the year for wedding insurance. Okay, so normally we start off January. January is a big month for sales. January this year we had a great January. We were up year on year. We had somewhere in the region of around about four hundred customer queries, i.e., uh, emails, calls, and things of like that. You know, customers asking questions about the policy or you know things of like that. So about four hundred calls. In, in March we had twelve thousand. So. Just to put it in perspective, we went from our biggest month, which is 400, to having 12,000 customer contacts. We had something like uh, 5,500 emails, and we had 7,000 calls uh, in, in March. And it was pure panic. Uh, you know, we had, you know, customers, existing customers who were obviously keen to find out, uh, uh, you know, how the policy would respond in the current situation and, you know, what would happen if they had to cancel or rearrange their wedding due to COVID. And then obviously you had, the, you know, these, you know, thousands of thousands of customers that suddenly, you know, found the need to buy wedding insurance uh, uh, and were all trying to buy it as quickly as they could really. Uh, and so that combination created, you know, almost like a perfect storm where, you know, you know, the sales went through the roof, which, you know, you would think, you know, well, that's great news. You know, you've got policy sales, you know, uh, you know, significantly increasing, you know, but that comes with its own challenges and its own issues. Um, and, you know, certainly, you know, March, uh, you know, purely just in terms of trying to respond to that level of demand. You know, we're a small business, so we, 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 we've got a team of, at that point, we only had a team of four people. Um, and so it doesn't take a genius to work out that, uh, you know, four into 12,000 doesn't really, uh, you know, go very well. So, uh, yeah, that was a really, really challenging period for us and um, was probably one of the worst months of my life, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> but I could, I could understand why. Um, Heidi, what about you? What was your experience over Emerald Life? Well, much the same as, as, as Marks and Weddinshore. I mean, we were basically, if their best month was 400, we're, we're a smaller company than that. Ours was probably 150, uh, maybe 175. And we had the same uptick. Um, relative to to our sales base and we have a team of three um which then was augmented by steve my business partner and myself also getting on the calls um the the other thing i'll say since this is kind of an industry podcast um and to be frank the what insurers underwriter at that point we worked with the same mga and the same underwriter so we, we we shared each other's pain um also but it was it was a lot of what our time was taken up with, um, as well as trying to kind of keep the fingers in the dike about customer service, but it was also trying to figure out with the underwriter um, what to do and giving them feedback as far as um, they're a big organization and how do they move quickly and flexibly, which I I would give them credit for doing reasonably well, um, quite frankly, but it was just something that as an underwriting institution, they had not even begun to contemplate. And that, as we talk about the further journey that, that Mark and, and, and Emerald have, same we, for as far as ongoing customer care of those customers, we have the same iterative challenges with the same um, underwriter about what constitutes good customer care going forward in these incredibly difficult times. 
No, I can completely understand that kind of you will have some very upset and some very frustrated people. And at the same time, you don't actually know what you can tell them because you don't know what the answer is because your underwriter doesn't know what the answer is. Um, at what point did, did you stop selling wedding insurance? At what point did you just go or did you or have you continued to sell throughout? No, I think, in fact, I think we, uh, we both stopped at the exact same point. I think uh, ourselves on Emerald on the 19th of March, I believe. Is, is that correct, uh, Heidi? Yep. Yeah, so 19th of March, we, we, we stopped selling. Um, and I think, you know, at that point, you know, it, it, it became apparent, you know, we, we needed to do something for a number of different reasons. Like I said, you know, we, we were inundated, you know, you know in, in terms of calls and queries. And, you know, it, it really was operationally impossible to manage, really. So we, we had to do something. We, we were one of the last to stop selling. I think, you know, um, others had stopped selling, you know, earlier that month. So I think John Lewis was the first to stop selling around about the 5th of March. About a week later, UK General stopped all their policies. So Debenhams, Wedding Plan, Dreamsaver, all those guys you know, stopped selling. And, um, you know, and, and during this period as well, uh, you know, uh, ourselves and Emerald, we, we did a lot of things, you know, to actually put restrictions in place on the sale of the policy, i.e., you know, exclusion periods and things like that as well. So we were trying to do what we thought was the right thing at the time to, uh, you know, try to sort of like, you know, cope with that situation. Uh, but yeah, it got to the point, you know, where I think everybody just, you know, we all had to make that decision that it was the right thing to do and to, uh, you know, to, you know, to, to pull the product at that point, really. And so, uh, yeah, so 19th of March, uh, we, we, we stopped selling the product. And when did you start again? I started, uh, we, we, we launched uh, our new policy on the 23rd of October. So okay. <laughs> literally just in the last month. No, I mean, and, and it's interesting. And presumably, Mark, you have to cope with something that is UK wide, despite there being different rules in different parts of the UK. Is this, was that something you'd ever considered before? Was that writing a policy for Cardiff is different to Edinburgh, is different to <laughs> Newcastle, is different to London? Well, it, it, we, we kind of had that in there because our policy obviously also covered weddings abroad. Um, and so, you know, we had probably around about um, 10% of our customer base were, you know, couples who were getting married abroad. Um, and you can imagine, you know, it, it, you know, back in March and when this, you know, really started to kick off, you know, it was a really complicated situation. You know, we had people getting married in different parts of the world. Some were under lockdown, some weren't under lockdowns, uh, some were under travel restrictions, some weren't under, under, under travel restrictions, some were in quarantine, some weren't. So, you know, it, it has been a hugely complicated, you know, mishmash really, you know, from that perspective. And, you know, so, you know, very similar in the UK, you know, it, it's very complicated when you have, you know, weddings that can take place, say, for instance, you're in Essex, but, you know, go up the road, you know, a couple of hundred miles and you can't get married in, you know, Harrogate or something like that. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it is a very complicated situation. And that's been, you know, certainly something, you know, that uh, ourselves and our insurers, you know, about to try to manage, you know, the best we can, really. I mean, Nigel, what have you been hearing about this? I mean, on the grapevine, you obviously speak to a lot of insurers, you speak to everybody throughout the value chain. What, 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 have you, what have you heard when it comes to kind of how to overcome some of these challenges or indeed what some of the challenges are? Well, I was just going to ask as well, and I'll probably fire back as a question, but it almost goes back to the point um, about at what point does the underwriter go, hey, you've got to stop selling because we don't understand the risk. And it's, 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 it's a known event rather than an unknown event. Therefore, insurance becomes null and void at that point because you're not actually insuring against something happening. It's happened. Um, I'm intrigued, actually, Mark and Heidi, to get a perspective on what you did about claims and, and if you paid any out or none out or some out, because that would be quite interesting about partial payout, which we've seen in some things happening, specifically related to things like travel, um, number one. I, and I've got quite a few things in my mind that um, we, we, we've seen quite a lot, whether it's, so it's partial payouts. Um, the sequence of events in payouts is also very interesting. And, and, and again, because of the joyous occasion, this has been all over the news you know, whether it's the BBC or, or World Press, uh, you've probably seen the same where people, the happy couples have everything organised, ready to go and, and, and what's not. And then it's all pause. And then they get the run round. And I've had this moment with my own travel insurer where they say, oh, you've got to try your credit card company first. Oh, you've got to try in Timbuktu first. So is there a sequence of events that says in the terms and conditions that honestly no one reads, right? We, we all agree that, that people very rarely read anything above and beyond the key facts and, and anything else. But then do you, do you have a sequence of events that say, hey, you've got to try this first before you or before we'll actually pay out? That's that's pretty much standard fare as far as, again, it's in the fine print. But basically, a customer is expected to 
um, not exhaust all options, not to that kind of level of severity, but certainly um, opportunities like credit card, which can afford people more, even more protection um, against suppliers. The, the other thing that's happened is the, the CMA has come out with some really helpful guidance about the responsibilities of wedding suppliers, um, because in this COVID era, effectively, it's, 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 it's almost like a no-fault default. It doesn't matter if you contracted with a venue or a caterer for a 150-person wedding, if you can't have that wedding because of government restrictions and therefore the supplier can't deliver that, they are pretty much obligated to either work with you to find a new date or to refund um, any deposits you've made less um, very identifiable overheads. So in th- there is a hierarchy of such. And there's also a couple other kind of levers to pull out there. One is one of the things uh, the underwriter up until March uh, agreed to subsequently was to, if you rescheduled your wedding, you could claim up to the limit in the schedule for that section. Because usually, once you make a claim under a certain part of a section, that part of being claimable basically falls away. So the, the underwriter has actually done a good job of saying, no, if, you're, if your limit for cancellation is 50000 or 30000 as Mark said, is the most popular a probable size of a wedding or average size of a wedding, you can actually make multiple claims up to the limit of each section. And that's, that's a pretty progressive thing because they, they didn't have to do that. They could basically once exercised a, that, that part of the policy to, to, to file under would fall away usually. Yeah, no. So I was, I was, I was just going to say. So I think um, you know there, there, there were certain circumstances, you know, that um, you know um, did fall under the terms of the policy. Certainly early on in March and April, uh, you know, when COVID, uh, you know, really, you know, start to you know hit, uh, you know, quite uh, significantly. You know, things like you know, if you were ill or you contracted COVID and you couldn't attend your wedding because of you contracted COVID. You know, we had customers at the time who uh, you know had COVID symptoms and were told to self isolate. Uh, we had you know even situations where we had customers who's you know unfortunately had close relatives who passed away due to COVID. So there were various different circumstances you know that are covered under the terms of the policy and that the insurers you know obviously you know pay out on you know uh, you know for those claims and so. You know, there there were various different elements of the cover that were covered. You know, in in relation to COVID, you know, the the big exclusion came into play when it came to government acts and regulations, which you know was a clause which is standard in most you know, uh, insurance contracts and certainly within the wedding insurance space, you know, the, the vast majority of wedding insurance providers had, you know, this clause in there, which is, you know, that we do not cover any claims or losses arising, you know, directly or indirectly from any government act, regulation or change of law. And that's where then, you know, you know, certainly from April onwards, when the lockdowns came in and, you know, weddings were banned and, you know, you, you, you simply couldn't get married, you know, uh, because it wasn't legal to get married, you know, that's where, you know, uh, uh, you know, a lot of those exclusions were then being applied if the insurers felt that it was fair and reasonable to do so. So, um, you know, so I think, uh, you know, the key point, you know, to note that on that one is, you know, that there are certain things that were covered, there were certain things that are, are not covered. Uh, and then, you know, you know, it's a hugely complex situation. But, you know, going back to what, you know, Heidi mentioned, the, the first protocol and, and the advice and the guidance that we gave to customers throughout the whole situation was in the first instance, speak to your venues and your suppliers to see what you can do to rearrange your wedding to a later date. Um, and I would say the vast majority, probably 80% plus of customers have been able to do that for little or no cost whatsoever. Okay. So, um, you know, their suppliers have been very accommodated and allowing them to change to a little bit this year and next year and so on. And they've been able to do that. And so there's been no financial loss and so no, no claim under the policy. And then we've been supporting them, uh, to actually carry their, uh, you know, cover forward to that date and, you know, extend the policies, you know, to those dates. Um, you know, so I think it's really important to highlight that, uh, you know, as well that, that you know we've been trying to help customers you know in that instance but then also you know where you know their wedding had to be cancelled you know there are obligations that their suppliers have to them and so it's important that customers obviously you know make sure that they get money back from their suppliers and then if they have an admissible claim in terms of the policy we would then uh, obviously look at uh, each of those individual claims individually and uh, you know uh, look at those in conjunction with the terms and conditions of the policy and uh, make a decision based upon each individual claim really. Yeah, it sounds like it's a case-by-case basis. Um, We're just going to take a quick break here, but we're going to come back very soon. 
We've just launched two brand new shows on our LinkedIn page, and if you love our podcast, you should go and check them out. Every Tuesday, we deep dive into the biggest banking and fintech news stories with our show Newsroom. We've already had great episodes on the FinCEN files leak and the CrowdCube and Cedars merger that you can watch back on our LinkedIn or YouTube now. And every Thursday, we speak to experts in technology and financial services about the work that they do and their careers to date. Have you checked out our YouTube channel yet? You'll find hundreds of videos on everything from analysis of the hottest fintech headlines to our predictions for the future of banking. There's tons of exciting content in the pipeline, including our brand new six-part video series, Decoding Banking as a Service. Head to bit.ly forward slash 11FS YouTube to subscribe for instant updates. Great. Uh, Let's get on with the show. Um, Let's start with the next section, all about lockdown volatility. And I'm sure like many others, we've seen um, the, the rules go backwards and forwards, on and off. Weddings were off. Funerals were not be allowed to be attended by anything other than uh, individuals, uh, uh, and then back on again and back off again. And now, of course, we've got the tiering system and and a whole host of complexities for, for many, and it's different state by state in the US. Where do you even start with this, um, Heidi? How, how do you cope with insurance when you've got state by state regulation and different attitudes to what you can and can't do? I mean, the policies, I know you said you're not selling again just yet, but Do you see that coming into, or how does that affect the policies that you will sell going forward? We're hoping to be back in the market very soon, but even for the current customers, because there are still questions of, can they rearrange in the future? And I I think Mark will agree with this, that the majority of our time, frustrating as that is, but it's totally necessary, is spending customer care, either listening to people, and we're, this is a non-advised product, so you can't advise people, but you can listen. And whereas your usual call center mentality is you try to get customers and their dialogue with them over as quickly as possible so you can get on to the next person, a lot of hand-holding really does go a long way to both reducing claims and to informing people without advising them what their options are, if that makes sense, and pointing them to different other sources, walking them through. Again, the CMA guidance has been really a helpful tool for us as far as enabling and arming customers with steps that they can do. If it's still a contractual dispute, you've paid your venue 500 pounds and we don't know past March when the next deadlines are going to be extended or, or what that's going to be. And at least as far as what we're doing, which is enabling customers to reschedule up to 24 months in the future, walking somebody through the process that if they don't have their new date now, they can actually call you in a couple of months and do it at that point and how suppliers are supposed to behave. So, so for us in coping with COVID back to your, back to your question, it's a lot of customer care. It's a lot more time on the phone with customers. You you just give me a a really interesting question actually, which is not on on the script, but maybe Mark one for you. And and I can't answer this myself, even out of my own head, because I didn't actually buy wedding insurance all those years ago. But if I, I'm, I'm assuming I'm ensuring an event itself or the sequence of days around an event as opposed to a typical 12-month policy or whatever else. So let's assume, to Heidi's point, Mark, I've pushed it out 24 months. Emma and I are going to uh, get married and, or whatever date, and it's moved out 24 months. If three of my five vendors go out of business during that period because of the situation we're in, what happens? I'm assuming that all gets, does it all get covered or is that not part of the policy or is that dependent on the policy that you've purchased? Yeah, so one of the main sections of cover under the policy is financial failure of wedding services suppliers. And, um, you know, the other, you know, good thing about that section is that it does, you know, cover, you know, multiple claims up to the limit of that section. So, you know, if you've got a policy and you've got, uh, you know, let's say 20 grand worth of cover for uh, financial failure claims, you could have multiple, you know, uh, suppliers that go out of business, you know, over the period uh, that you're covered and you can submit multiple claims, you know, for under that section for those circumstances. So it is probably today the main thing that people look for when they're buying cover. You know, as I, as I referred to earlier, you know, you've got people spending £30,000 for their wedding and without doubt, the biggest concern they have today, believe it or not, is not actually COVID. It's whether their supplier is still going to be in business when their wedding is due to take place. That is really the biggest concern customers have today. Well, it's, it's actually, I mean, it's just to extend it to a, to a different metaphor, but it's um, 
the same thing that every I think that is a big concern all the way across the board because people who booked hotels for Christmas have the same problem is it's I don't care if they, I'm going to be allowed to go or not is the hotel going to be in business and that will be the case if you booked it for Christmas for a wedding for a, for a restaurant um, and I, I, I totally understand that sorry Heidi I interrupted you the, the other challenge for customers in trying all this rescheduling is actually there was a the first wave of people who had weddings in March April and May. And they very quickly, obviously with, with the, the full lockdown that ensued, rescheduled for the year later. And wedding venues are now getting booked and caterers are now getting booked almost two years in advance, which doesn't even allow for the uptake of the, the, the next generation of couples or the next wave of people who are trying to get married. And, and literally a lot of the venues, hopefully they stay financially solvent, but they're booked. Mm. I mean, this is, I'm fascinated by this. We have the same attitude about holidays in this household. We cancelled everything, obviously. And I tried to convince Mrs. Walsh that we should book for next year, being the eternal optimist. Now I'm getting a flat zero. We don't know if the, the folks are going to be around. We don't know if the airlines are going to be around. We don't know if the virus is going to be gone. And that uncertainty is really, really tough. And I'm here trying to, you know, support businesses and what's not and get a break. But it's, I, I get it. I get it. Um, I'm going to bring in, if I may, a super special guest for a surprise appearance. One, this is the man behind all of the uh, all the wizardry that goes on behind the podcast, uh, Alex. Uh, and Alex actually purchased wedding insurance and has been through a claim himself. So, Alex, you're welcome to the show for the first time, I think, on InsureTech Insiders. Not sure about others, but welcome to InsureTech Insiders. Um, but Alex, give us your experience as to wedding insurance. Why, you know, why did you purchase it and at what point? And what's been your experience as, unfortunately, the wedding's been cancelled? Yeah, so um, what everyone said so far echoes a lot of what we've experienced. So I would consider myself, you know, your, your average insurance consumer. And like many, we didn't even know wedding insurance existed. Um, we only found out after some advice from our friends about wedding planning last year. Um, so we were due to get married in the October this year and took out a policy around early January, uh, just through an online search. And so this is when COVID was just coming onto the radar, but not looking like any, you know, real threat. And then by March, we had put a few deposits down on things such as, you know, the venue and band, etc. Um, but we held out just to see what happened in case the wedding could go ahead. Uh, because, you know, we never expected it to go on this long. Um, Come July, it got to the point where we had to start putting down a few more payments for the wedding. And at that point, we decided to pull the plug as we spoke to our venue and they strongly suggested that they wouldn't be able to conduct our wedding. And if they could, it would most likely be a very reduced and uh, restricted service, at which point we uh, put in a claim. Uh, a few weeks went by and then we finally received an email saying that we wouldn't be receiving a payout. And their reasoning for this was that we were not covered for any claim arising directly or indirectly from government regulation or act and losses arising from prohibitive regulations by the government of any country. So we contested this based on the fact that we thought there was a very grey area within our policy. Um, and so the policy states in our cancellation section that we would be covered uh, if the booked venue for the wedding or wedding reception was unable to hold your wedding due to an outbreak of infectious or contagious disease, damage to the venue, murder or suicide at the premises or closure of the venue by the relevant authority. So this is where the policy didn't really make sense to us. Um, you know, really, you would think that those two clauses are conflicting and kind of made it out that we were both covered and not covered at the same time. So we got a final decision um, that we wouldn't be getting a payout from the the insurer. And so after some advice from colleagues and, and yourself, Nigel, we um, took it to the financial ombudsman as the website states that under the current circumstances, insurers should be assessing the claims on a case-by-case -case basis and ensuring uh, they are dealt with fairly. Um, so currently our situation is, is with the financial ombudsman. They're looking into that for us. A tragic and unfortunately probably not uncommon situation, Mark, right? And, and Heidi, uh, I won't describe Alex ever as average, uh, probably rock star status more, more than anything else. But, but that hearing from it firsthand and hearing of the stress that you go through, you must have heard through the thousands of calls that you've had. I mean, what's, what's been the response where you see lines like that that are written in a language that we would norm ordinarily, I guess, understand and be reasonably clear but then you've got government guidance or elsewhere coming in. I mean, how, how have you dealt with that 
from for your respective customers? Uh, uh, without doubt, it's been the you know the hardest you know thing for us to you know to to, to cope with really. I think, uh, and as you mentioned, you know we. You know, we spoke to some someone in the region of about twelve thousand, uh, you know, customers over a period of about two months, and you know, all of those were in a very similar situation to to Alex. And so, you know, it, it is a very difficult communication. But ultimately, you know, from our perspective, you know, we we um, distribute and sell a insurance product. Um, you know, so you know, from that perspective, the only thing we can do is provide guidance on the terms and conditions of the policy as they're stated, uh, and as you know, the the insurers, um, you know. Um, you know, uphold those terms. And so, you know, from our perspective, it's important to, you know, communicate that to customers in the right way, to guide them through that process, to give them other help and support, uh, you know, throughout that process. And, you know, Heidi's already mentioned, you know, things around the CMA, the Consumer Rights Act, the Law Reform Act, that has helped, you know, significantly because of, you know, really customers who, you know, did have to cancel their weddings during the lockdowns and things that really should not be significantly out of pocket because of they should have got refunds, they should have got their money back and things like that. You know, but ultimately, I think the, you know, the important thing, you know, just stepping back a, a little bit is to really highlight that this policy was never, ever designed to cover this type of situation, okay? And what I mean by that is if we look at the average, you know, price of a policy, you know, we're, we're looking at an average premium price of around about £70, right, which, uh, you know, would typically give you around about £20,000 of the cover. So in a typical year, we would normally have... 150 to 200 claims. Um, 60 to 70 percent of those claims would be financial failure claims, and around about you know 15 to 20 percent would be cancellation claims. So you know, in, in total, you're normally looking at around about 25 to 30 cancellation claims a year. Okay, the product was never designed and never priced to accommodate a situation where suddenly weddings are banned completely and you literally got hundreds of thousands of weddings that are cancelled. You know, it, it just simply was never designed to cover that type of scenario. You know, and so that's why these clauses that are in these contracts in relation to government acts and regulations, because simply we couldn't accommodate a situation where suddenly, you know, all weddings regardless of the situation are off you know it's as simple as that and so i think that's been you know the you know the the difficult thing that you know you know we've had to communicate and you know and i completely get it you know and i completely understand from a consumer's perspective you know where you see something written in in one bit but then you know conversely in another bit it says something different now i'm gonna i'm gonna interrupt a little bit if i may because i think alex's first point and the, the bit he read out was to me as a layman working in the industry was crystal clear and this goes back to the problems of fine print that i think quite a few quite a few few times has been mentioned but goes back to the do we expect uh, brides and grooms or future brides and grooms to read all of these or even consumers to read all these to the nth degree and understand them which is i think why we've ended up with the court case that's now at the supreme court that's been challenged by a number of insurers the flip side of course is and i should make it clear that um Alex is not insured with either of you, so I'll make that clear for everyone else as well. <laughs> um, but the flip side of this, of course, is that I think Sarah and I did a show quite a long time ago now where the ABI said £40 million of claims have been paid out for, for wedding insurance. So some are getting paid and some are not. And I think that's when you start to get the, hey, why is that one valid and my one's not, or vice versa, depending on the policy or T's and C's they've got. There, there's two things. One is, to Mark's point about pricing, the product is also not priced or hasn't historically been priced differently if it's an overseas wedding or not, meaning if it's out of the UK, which also, if, we, if we're really talking about pricing risk, the, the venue or the, the, the location has no historic impact on pricing. And the other thing, Nigel, and this really gets to what you're talking about, is I would, I would, I love the, what was, I think it's called the plain English movement as far as contractual language. And I think there's been more success in plain English in contracts than there have in insurance policy documents. And this is an industry-wide issue, really, because I will agree to the layperson, the, the clause that Alex read out at the top doesn't have any relativity to me and wouldn't necessarily to the, to the government regs clause. Knowing what I know now and knowing the, the, the nuts and bolts of how that Works, but that wording describes is a a specific venue. So if you're a chef in a chateau where I'm having my my wedding, and you or some of the staff become COVID positive, and that specific venue shuts down because the staff everyone has to be quarantined, 
that's what that clause is meant is meant to address. But ninety nine point nine nine percent of the people read it a different way, and and I think with good cause. So you know, to, to, to give ourselves homework, the wedding with your example, the the wording can be made a lot clearer. Well, let, let me use that as a to, to try and finish on a positive, right? So, where do we think wedding insurance is going to go in the future? I think you've highlighted highly an excellent point, not just about wedding insurance, but insurance in general. How do we make this applicable so everyone can understand in an easy to consume format? But I'm intrigued by what changes in the product, what changes in the, um, you know, whether it's abroad or local or whatever it may be. We learned early on in insurance at a broader scale about SARS. We've now learned from COVID-19. This isn't going to be the last pandemic we see, maybe the last in our lifetime, but, but, but it's definitely going to come back again. How do you think the product's going to change, uh, number one? And number two, do you think the uptake or people's attitude to buying it, given the experience this time around, will be dramatically different? Heidi, do you want to go first? Yeah, I, I'll say three things. One is I think there will be more fields in the insurance journey which impact on the pricing. I think it will be location-based. Um, for the previous product that we were selling, you had – the amount of cancellation cover, um, which was just a pure amount. It wasn't based on number of guests. It wasn't based on anything. It was just based on how much you think you might spend. And I think um, underwriters will get much more into the weeds about the criteria that goes into that. The number of guests, for example, isn't a criteria that has historically impacted the price of a wedding. We collect the information for for marketing purposes or data, but it just it literally has no impact. It's how much cover do you want based on how much you think you're going to spend. And I think insurers have to get much smarter about rating the risk appropriate, especially for geography, I would argue. Yeah, interesting. Mark? Well, we've obviously just recently relaunched our product. And so, you know, we, we, we've gone through the process already where we had to take a long look at the, you know, the, you know, the policy that we had in place previously and look at ways that we could, um, you know, adapt that and provide some level of cover. Because if we take this back, you know, to March when everybody stopped selling insurance, you know, the, the issue that we then have is where if you're planning a wedding and you plan to spend 30000 you can't get cover. You know, so, the, you know, the issue that you then have is that consumers don't have any choice. They can't get covered for their wedding. So they, they, they know they're taking a risk that if they're spending 30 grand on a, you know, on a wedding, that if something goes wrong, that's it. You know, it's 30 grand, you know, potentially gone. Uh, and so, you know, for us, we thought it was very important to, you know, provide a level of cover that we believed, you know, met consumers' needs, you know, uh, largely, and that it was priced at the price that either they're willing to pay, but then obviously that, you know, you know, certainly operates, you know, from a, uh, you know, a loss ratio perspective in, in, a, in a good way. So we've had to do a lot of changes to the pro product to accommodate that. You know, obviously some of the key things that we've had to do, we, we have had to, you know, incorporate, you know, COVID uh, exclusions in there around, you know, cancellation, you know, because of COVID. At the moment, Unfortunately, it's just impossible to get that covered. You know, there's no insurer that's going to cover that in the moment when they're aware that, like you said, it's a known situation in the marketplace. So if you're, you know, pretty much getting married, you know, any any time between now and April next year, the likelihood is that your wedding will not proceed as planned. You know, or certainly not the way that you intended it to, you know, to, to, to proceed. We've had to do things around, you know, financial failure claims. So previously, the exclusion period was ten days. That's now ninety days. Uh, we've had to do things like, you know, redundancy exclusions from eight weeks to sixteen weeks. We've had to. We're now only covering weddings based in the UK. We're not covering weddings abroad. Um, you know, so th there's a whole raft of things that we've had to do to create a product that was we were able to get capacity you know in the first instance to provide that product so that we can give a product to customers you know to give them some form of certainty that you know when they are getting married that they they do have some form of cover in place you know for the future uh, and so you know we, we've done that and uh, you know I'm, I'm really pleased with the way it's gone so far it's gone very well and uh, you know we've had a really good uptake so I think you know the good news is is that the demand of the product is clearly there you know you know consumers want this product um, and you know the market will come back I think more insurers will come back uh, into the marketplace you know uh, Heidi and Emerald will, will, will certainly be back uh, you know uh, you know soon and and that's good you know it's, it's healthy for competition it's healthy for consumers you know because obviously it's good for us all to compete against each other and uh, you know likewise it's good for me to uh, you know make sure that we're always trying to develop a, a product that delivers the best value to our, you know our customers at all times really. I think it's great to see how quickly you've evolved the product because obviously product speed to market, I think, has been huge and we're not very quick at doing it that often. So it's really encouraging to see 
it evolve and it get back out and it still be fit for purpose for for customers for, for some things to be covered. I have a really exciting question, but I'm going to hand back to Sarah. <laughs> Um, so I, I, I just I want to I want to leave us on a bit of levity because it's been quite a hard conversation and it does not there's positivity in the wedding insurance industry. But I want you had time to prep this, so it should be a quick far answer. What is the most interesting thing that somebody's had at a wedding that you've gone, oh my god, we need to think about how we insure that? I will give you an example. I was uh, at a, an alpaca farm the other day, and uh, apparently you can have alpacas at your wedding as a conversation point. So um, that's that's perhaps something. Um, have you either of you come across anything along those lines? Yeah, I mean, I I, I remember having a customer once that uh, uh, had a hot air balloon at their wedding, and uh, wanted to know if that was uh, insured under the liability clause of the uh, uh, of the policy. Um, but yeah, I think that you know the, the great thing is is that um, you know uh, we, we cover all sorts of weddings. You know, whether you're getting married in a teepee in the middle of a forest, or whether you're having a traditional you know church wedding and and, and reception afterwards. That's the, the the weird and wonderful things about weddings is that everybody's wedding is different, and uh, you know, not not too clear are the same nor to you know weddings are the same and so it, it really is a fascinating uh you know industry to work in and um you know we, we get all sorts of weird and wonderful things but um you know that's what makes it exciting Heidi how about you any I'll give you the final word anything exotic or exciting you that springs to mind ours concerned having elephants and the biggest challenge was what to do with what comes out the rear end um <laughs> <laughs> I can I can imagine that that would be quite the challenge. I think I think we will leave it at that point. But um, it it sounds like there is there is it required a different type of insurance. Let's just put it that way <laughs> for that particular aspect. <laughs> a blended product. All right. Well, um, thank you both so much for joining us. Uh, that wraps up today's discussion. Thank you so much to uh, our guests. Uh, where can people find out more about you, Mark? Uh, myself, um, uh, LinkedIn or on Twitter, you can find me at uh, at uh, right to Mab, so right to MAB, which are my initials, or um, at InsureMore and then the number one. Perfect. Heidi, how about you? EmeraldLife.co.uk, which is our, our website. My Twitter handle is Heidi Emerald, or hash, how does it go? Hashtag Heidi Emerald. Oh, I don't. I obviously don't do a lot of my own Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. People will find you. Um, and Nigel, how about you? Uh, as ever on Twitter at Nigel Walsh. And you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. Uh, as always, you can find the show on Twitter at Instech Insiders or our 11FS LinkedIn page. That is 11 colon FS. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, which you can find on Spotify and your other podcast providers. Also, do remember to leave us a review. It does help make the podcast better. Uh, we'll be back very soon. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>